0: special edition of the Darden admissions podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. So as you may know, Darden has relaunched its PhD program. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share a recording from a recent webinar all about the structure and design of UVA Darden's PhD program. This conversation features Christian West, Senior Director of Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion recruiting here at the Darden School of Business, and Professor Mike Lennox. Senior Associate Dean and Chief Strategy Officer here at Darton. I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's a conversation between Christian West and Mike Lennox, all about UBA Darton's PhD program.
1: Good morning, Mike, how are you? I am doing well.
2: Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, PhD program webinar. Really appreciated uh, all of the insight that you'll be able to bring uh, for your from your perspective as both a faculty member and, and senior associate dean. Uh, I'm
1: grateful that you took the time out to join us. No, there's, there's nothing more important than attracting, uh, you know, very talented PhD students. So I'm very excited to be able to do this.
2: Yes, and I wanna thank all of our participants for joining us uh, this afternoon here in Charlottesville as well. We're very grateful uh, that you are engaging with Darden and demonstrating interest in our PhD program. Uh, We hope that uh, this webinar will be informative for you all to provide a general overview of the program structure, uh, the experiential opportunities and and research uh, opportunities you all will have throughout the program. And this is uh, the first in a series of webinars this week. Uh, We will have another one uh, this Friday more focused on the application uh, for the PhD program uh, featuring the Director of Doctoral Studies, uh, Andy Wicks. Uh, So uh, Mike, I want to get us started um, with. uh, This might be our participant's first time uh, getting to know you, Uh, so I want to wanted to provide that opportunity. They have a good idea of who they are talking to. Um, So, can you provide a brief introduction of yourself and your and your role here at Darden?
1: Sure. So, uh, I have been had the pleasure of being on the faculty at Darden since two thousand and eight. Uh, I'm a member of our strategy, strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Ethics group, which we'll obviously talk more about. Um, my particular focus is largely strategy, though I do have interests that cross over both entrepreneurship and ethics. I've been teaching core MBA strategy for over 20 years now at various uh, institutions, obviously including Dart in the last 15 years. Uh, and in addition to that, I am also serving as our Senior Associate Dean and Chief Strategy Officer for the past six years. Um, there are many elements to that role, many uh, fun things that I get to get involved with at the school, uh, but probably most relevant to our discussions today is I oversee our research centers of excellence, and I also see oversee something called the Office for Research Services, which provides research support uh, to faculty uh, and doctoral students and the like uh, in the enterprise there. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. We're going to talk more about those uh, research
2: centers of excellence in, in a bit. Um, Considering that, that, that the Ph.D. program is intended to provide Ph.D. students an introduction to the academy, uh, essentially following a path that you followed uh, to the faculty, uh, I'm curious about your your journey to the MBA faculty. Uh, what path yeah. did, did you take to ultimately uh, arrive here at Darton?
1: Yeah, my path was not a uh, linear one by any means. Uh, for those of you who maybe uh, have a, a more a less traditional path, uh, you know, we're excited to see you as well. Um, I actually started off as an engineer. I uh, did both my bachelor's and master's in engineering uh, in the field of systems engineering, uh, more mathematical kind of field of, of engineering. And uh, as part of that, I, I've always had an interest around environmental issues. Uh, and that was really a through thread through my work uh, that you'll see. Um, when I decided to go back and get my PhD, I decided to do a pivot, uh, decided to look more at that interface between business, public policy, and also technology, I uh, always have had an interest in technology and technology then, uh, with a particular interest again on environmental issues. So think about business and sustainability and the like, um, my core training in my PhD, uh, the kind of foundational work is in economics. Um, But again, always with a a viewpoint towards understanding business and markets uh, and that interface with public policy. Um, And so uh, when I first got out into the the world, I was a a junior faculty member at the uh, NYU, uh, spent three years there, uh, joined again the strategy faculty there, and was teaching strategy to to MBAs and and undergrads for a little while. Uh, Then eventually moved on to Duke, uh, where I served at the Fuqua School of Business for about six years as a faculty member. Uh, and then found my way here to Darden over the last uh again fifteen years
2: uh whenever uh prospective students demonstrate an interest on the intersection of sustainability and technology, I always tell them to check out your ideas to action page uh <laughs> to to see that the the work that that you have been doing, the books that you have uh, been putting out to demonstrate the level of expertise that we have uh here here on our faculty yeah. um can you offer the, our, our participants some insight to the courses that you've been teaching recently here at DAR?
1: Yeah. Um, so primarily, you know, in terms of my MBA teaching, I, again, teach our core MBA strategy course um, for, for first-year MBAs. Uh, But in addition to that, I teach an elective called Strategy in the Digital Age. Uh, So in addition to my interest around sustainability, uh, as I mentioned, I also have had a strong interest around technology, especially digital technologies. Um, And so a lot of my work in that space speaks to, again, how are businesses dealing with this emerging set of digital technologies, everything from AI um, to blockchain uh, and the like. Uh, and, and how does that affect the underlying economics and underlying business opportunities uh, in that space? And again, as, as often as my one, I, I also, you know, spend quite a bit of time on some of the policy and societal issues around digital technology and really the issues that businesses are dealing with. Everything from the ethics of algorithms to, um, you know, when do you give autonomy to uh, vehicles or other types of devices and the like. Uh, and that's been a growing interest of mine and, and a lot of my colleagues as well.
2: Um, Mike, I, I'm looking, thinking about your journey uh, from NYU to Fuqua to Darden. Uh, what, were, what were some of the factors that made you choose to, to be on the faculty of Darden? Uh, we, yeah. alst- we often ask that question of our prospective students. Why Darden? It's at the heart of the, the short answer question for our PhD applicants. Uh, yeah. What was the driving factors for you?
1: yeah i think there's a few i i think you know one i would observe and, and i can say this from spending time not only at the three institutions i mentioned but other uh top business schools is uh darn is unique um it is unique in the way that it approaches business education uh and it's unique in the way that it thinks about uh impact on the world um you know we are known as uh the number one educational experience we take very seriously the teaching Um, uh, uh, part of our profession here. And I think when we think about our PhD program, it is something we keep in the back of our mind, which I think is not, not always common in PhD programs. I think the second thing that really attracted me was this notion of speaking to the world of practice. It is something we're very explicit about, that while we are serious researchers here, we do work that is very rigorous, we also always have a, a, an ear turn to the real world and and what is the impact our work is having on that broader real world. Um, so Darden is the type of place that that values scholarship broadly defined. Uh, thinking about, you know, I've written a number of books in recent years, which isn't necessarily the most common way of, of doing scholarly output, um, but that's an opportunity that I would have at a place like Darden. Darden is a place that thinks broadly about, the role of business in society, um, what are the impacts uh, that business has on, in my case, you know, sustainability or the environment or any number of other issues. And I love the fact that as a faculty, um, we are not siloed uh, and we'll talk more about the program. And of course, we have our different areas and, and different uh, areas of focus. But generally, as a faculty, we, uh, we collaborate across boundaries. I work with colleagues in our technology and operations group. I work with colleagues in our marketing group and so on. And that really just broadens your aperture uh, for what is possible and what the interesting questions are. Um, so it's just a very vibrant um, environment as a result of this.
2: Mike, that, that gives me a, a great transition to talking more about the faculty. Uh, so for, for this uh, iteration of, of PhD uh, st- our PhD cohort, we're enrolling students for both the strategy, ethics, and entrepreneurship area and the quantitative analysis area. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you can talk about uh, your colleagues in those two areas, some sure. of the, the research initiatives that they have, uh, and maybe a couple of shout outs to particular faculty members to give our, our participants some insight of who they might may have the opportunity to work alongside
1: yeah well let's start with strategy entrepreneurship and ethics and and you highlight two of my colleagues here um again we are one integrated unit but the faculty tend to lean on one area or another like i said i kind of self-identify as a strategy scholar sarah is a great example of one of the world leading entrepreneurship scholars um she has done some work some pioneering work on in essence, what makes entrepreneurs successful or uh, what are the factors that drive successful entrepreneurship. And she has a a theory uh, affectionately called effectuation, which describes a process of entrepreneurship that arguably is is maybe a little different than um, the kind of historical anecdotes that people had had. This work has been incredibly influential. She's probably one of the most cited faculty uh, period uh, in the entrepreneurship field, but even more broadly in, in business education. Uh, and it's spurred literally hundreds of other faculty to kind of follow and advance uh, further her work on this idea of effectuation. Um, Ed Freeman is a, is another uh, luminary in the field. Ed uh, primarily identifies as a business ethicist, though his interests are wide, you know, ranging. He has published hundreds of volumes; uh, very prolific. Uh, he is uh, arguably, maybe not even arguably, definitively the uh, the forefather for what is called stakeholder theory. Um, and this is an idea and a vision that he had, uh, you know, going all the way back into the '80s talking about a new way to think about the role of capitalism and the importance of the vast array of stakeholders that businesses face, including, of course, employees, but also uh, what we might call secondary stakeholders, uh, policymakers, activists, communities. And that at the end of the day, what businesses do is they manage this vast array of stakeholders and try to advance uh, their interests. And it's often framed as a counter to uh, what is often attributed to Milton Friedman, uh, the kind of shareholder primacy argument that the only role and purpose of business is to maximize shareholder returns. And uh, Ed has really been on the forefront of a, of a counter movement that suggests, uh, in fact, it's a much broader purview. And this has really become central to a lot of what's happening in the business world today. If you're familiar with ESG, the environmental, social, and governance movements we've seen in investing and in corporate America. Uh, a lot of that grows out of some of Ed's uh, original work there. Um, so again, two colleagues that are, again, uh, really leaders in their field and have had vast influence, not only, again, on the academy, but even broader on uh, on work that's been done.
2: And uh, what about some folks in, in the quantitative analysis yeah. area? It's it's a, it's a burgeoning uh, academic area for, for us uh, here at Darden, and some really interesting work that those faculty uh, are doing it? Could Could you highlight one yeah, or two faculty I, I in I that I feel area some affinity
1: well? to this group because it has some overlaps with my systems engineering training and background. Um, yeah. The QA group is a long-standing group at Darden. Uh, that has multiple intersecting interests. Um, Think about things like decision theory, how are decisions made and analyzed within organizations. Uh, They do work on um, data science and the application of data science uh, to any number of decision problems that businesses face. And I think increasingly kind of related back to what I was saying about the digital age, uh, they're on the forefront of thinking about techniques like AI, um, again, blockchain, the application of these, but also the societal and business implications of these technologies. Um, so similar to SEE, I would say it's an interdisciplinary group with wide ranging interests that cover a number of uh, quantitative areas uh, as it applies to you know issues and problems that society is facing.
2: And uh, one of the things that I try to impress upon Darden students is that while we offer a really compelling experience here uh, within the halls of of Sanders Hall um, or uh, Sands Capital Grounds up in Roslyn, uh, by joining Darden, they're joining the larger University of Virginia community where we have uh, 12 other academic schools. And there is this interdisciplinary conversation happening between all of the schools Um, I was wondering if you could provide our participants an example of faculty working alongside other uh, faculty members from other uh, departments and academic units to really demonstrate um, the the university resources that would be available to them by joining the larger UVA community.
1: Yeah, well, let me, you know, first, before answering that specific question, you know, more broadly, as you're considering, you know, PhD programs and specifically why to get a PhD in a business school um, of this nature, I think it's fair to say that all business school-oriented research has foundations in kind of core academic disciplines. Again, I would describe myself as an economist. Ed would describe himself as a philosopher. People have backgrounds in psychology, sociology. Uh, In the QA group, they have backgrounds, again, in data science and statistics. Um, Those core areas inform what we do and often provide part of our intellectual home. Um, So as a result, we have a natural uh, affinity and connective tissue with any number of different areas within the university. So at UVA, we have world-class psychology department, economics department. We have one of the leading business schools on public policy in the Batten School of Public Policy that has faculty there who have very similar intellectual training and even interest to our Darden faculty. My legal colleagues in the law school um, have some really interesting work that, you know, again, overlaps with some of my interest areas, and I imagine that's true for for my colleagues as well. Engineering, especially for the QA group, has very strong connections, especially with, again, the systems engineering uh, group that we have at, at UVA. So intellectually, uh, foundationally, there are natural ways in which we connect with the university. As a student, I'll point out that both our programs, NQA and SEE, while they will provide any number of seminars that are generated by the Darden faculty, the program explicitly encourages and and really requires you to seek courses that are outside of Darden. Um, So for example, if you're a strategy student, will encourage you to take some courses over in the economics department uh, microeconomic sequence econometrics courses for your uh, modeling and statistics uh, others might you know find paths where they have a strong again like psychology training and maybe you will be running experiments and the like others might go more of a philosophy or religious studies route as a basis for an ethical uh set of, of work that you have and so from a coursework standpoint You will absolutely be exposed to these other areas of the university by design. And then last but not least, you know, Christian, your kind of original question, how is we as faculty work with other uh, faculty across the university? And again, given what I've just described, it happens really organically and quite naturally, uh, that you'll have co-authors, you'll have projects that you're working on uh, with faculty across the university on various topics. Uh, Again, Uh, probably too many examples to name of of people working together uh, across these different departments. Um, I've worked with faculty directly with the Batten School, worked directly with faculty uh, in the Econ department. Uh, That's again, kind of natural for us, given the questions that we're we're asking. Um, I'm getting involved with uh, something called the Miller Center, uh, which is a pan university institute around the presidency and public policy. And in particular, I'm getting involved with issues that are really fundamental around capitalism and democracy. Again, these are the types of big picture questions that we're able to pursue at Darden, uh, and again, leverage the resources of the rest of the university. Yeah, Mike, uh, the, the
2: Democracy Institute is getting a lot of uh, attention right now um, nice. here at UVA. And of, of course, there's an obvious intersection with the work that we do here at Darden uh, nice. and, and the way that we think about uh, uh, the, the conversation between democracy and business and, and commerce. Um, so that's good to hear. So uh, all of our faculty have active research agendas and they have to have some type of research infrastructure to help facilitate that. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier in our conversation about um, our research centers of excellence. And I'd like to turn there um, to talk a little bit about that infrastructure and how our Ph.D. students might um, interact with all of the the research centers that we have here at DART.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I would actually highlight, you know, two uh, kind of classes of organization. So not on the slide right now, but we have stood up something called the Office for Research Services in recent years, which is uh, very instrumental in helping faculty conduct their research. But as you imagine, PhD students, you will also have access to that. And when collaborating with faculty and the like, be using the resources of, of what we affectionately call ORS. What does that mean in reality? Well, give you one example. If you are a behavioralist, if you're someone interested in running experiments with students and the like... There is a behavioral lab that we have uh, which is fully staffed and can help run those experiments for you. So as a as a, as a thought leader, you know, conceiving of, of experiments to be run, and then they can help execute, find the you know, participants and, and run those, uh, those efforts for you. Uh, we're also standing up what we are actually calling a data lab, which is basically a set of resources computationally and also people to help with large scale data projects that might require um, scraping the internet for uh, particular pieces of data or organizing large data sets that can be easily accessed in the the cloud. Um, So that's a a, a real foundational set of of support that we provide our, our researchers. In addition to that, then, as we have on the slide, we have three major institutes uh, that are supported, and each of those have many tentacles that go into different uh, topics. But we, by design, wanted not to have dozens of different research centers, but to have some really large institutes that could do some really broad topic uh, issues. So first and foremost is our Batten Institute. Uh, I actually ran our Batten Institute for about seven, eight years, serving as an academic and executive director. Um, The Batten Institute is focused on entrepreneurship, innovation, and technology. So again, for the S.E.E. group, these are critical areas. But even the QA group as well, these have some significant overlap. One of the things we try to do with all of our institutes is they are not beholden or within a particular academic area. They, again, are trying to serve the totality of the Darden School across all of our interests. So the Batten Institute might collaborate with one of our marketing faculty on an area around Uh, innovation uh, in in digital marketing. Uh, Our Mayo Center is uh, our probably closest to kind of a financial center focused on asset management. They are actually now reaching reaching out to a broader set of questions around um, private markets, uh, things like private equity, venture capital. For the programs that we're running, there are some natural affinities here. Again, I mentioned ESG, a uh, big movement here in the financial services industry in the asset management field mayo is one of the leaders there and there's a real nice synergy with the work that for example some of my S.E.E. colleagues and myself are doing uh, which maybe speak more from the corporate side but interface with that investment community and then last but not least our institute for business and society as the name suggests This is uh, uh, really our institute looking at that interface between business and society and the ways in which these are interacting. That includes everything from business ethics to policy issues to really just the vast number of ways uh, society and business are interacting. It has a strong connective tissue to our SEE group, but it also has strong connective tissue with our QA group, again, to the extent... We're working on things like the ethics of algorithms, the impact of autonomy. Um, All of these can be topics that kind of are enveloped in our Institute for Business and Society. At the end of the day, what these three institutes do for us is they provide a set of resources that can help um, support research, but also amplify it. Um, They hold events, bring scholars and others together which can be a great networking opportunity for our doctoral students Uh, it gives them greater exposure to what's happening in the world the translational work really helps expand to this idea of speaking to the world of practice which can be very helpful when you're conducting your research to be able to have that access you know to the quote unquote real world again to the executives to policymakers, uh to others out there in the world which might end up being sources of uh, a, a research a context for you to do to do your work. Um, so again, our Centers for Excellence are designed to be a, a support and amplification of the scholarly work that we do as faculty, but more broadly uh, as an academic program.
2: Um, Mike, you sent out the annual reports uh, for these three institutes a couple of weeks ago, and and I took the opportunity to kind of dig into them to see what was going on and it was kind of amazing to see, one, the, the level of productivity that each of the institutes um, are providing um, to, to the Darting community, but also the, the co-curricular and experiential uh, opportunities that they're facilitating for our students. Um, so I'll point to those as resources for our participants if they're interested in learning a little bit more about uh, the work of the respective institutes.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. There's a lot of great details in
2: there. All right. So Mike, let's turn to the nuts and bolts of the PhD program. I'm, I'm sure our participants are curious of, okay, what's the required coursework? Uh, what type of uh, capstone or dissertation am I expected to complete? Um, how do they go about that? Uh, so, so let's turn there. Um, we, we have a pretty standardized curriculum regardless of the format for our PhD students. And you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, the opportunity to take a wide variety of coursework, um, not only here at Darden, but across the institution. Um, I was wondering if you can kind of speak to the way that uh, faculty would advise students completing these curricular requirements for the PhD program that would be a part of their first two years um, within the PhD uh, experience.
1: Yeah, you know, let me start with kind of the overall structure, which I think is very similar to what you'll find in most uh, elite PhD programs, which is uh, a design in which you spend your first two years largely in coursework, um, at the end of which you will have a comprehensive exam, which then launches you into, in essence, the dissertation writing phase of the uh, of the program. Um, there will still be courses of credit that you receive when you enter into that dissertation writing, uh, you know, phase of your work or research work. Um, a lot of them, though, are just kind of um, more free-form research courses that you are uh, getting credit credit for. So let's focus on those first two years where the bulk of your uh, uh, coursework will be done and credit-bearing uh, coursework will be done. As I mentioned before, by design, you will need to take courses outside of the Darden School. Uh, And again, largely in disciplinary tracks, uh, depending on where your interests lie. Uh, And we've designed the program to be very fluid to meet your specific interests and needs. So let's start with the SEE area. The SEE area is planning to have uh, two courses per semester Uh, that are SEE specific, basically taught by SEE faculty. Um, Those will include core courses and things like strategy, ethics, entrepreneurship, so our three main areas. There'll also be courses in research methodology that we'll be offering. Uh, And as you see on the list here, there is also a course in pedagogy that maybe will be taken in your first two years. We might also wait until your third year until you have to take that. And that's I would argue a unique feature of the, the Darden curriculum that we have a specific course on helping you become an effective teacher. Uh, again, our goal is to try to get people out into academic jobs, uh, professorships, tenure track positions. And uh, at the end of the day, while you know research drives a lot of the hiring process, uh, teaching is still what you're being hired to do. And so being an effective teacher is some of the criteria by which you'll be judged on that job market. And we want to make sure our Ph.D. students coming out are are well-trained and prepared uh, to go into the classroom. In terms of the coursework, uh, in addition to those kind of required core courses that are being offered by Darden faculty, again, you then get to customize your coursework based on your interests. So again, if you're a more economically driven strategy student, you might take a series of courses in the econ department. If you, again, are more interested in uh, behavioral work, you might end up doing some courses in psychology. For our QA program, you'll probably spend time in our School of Data Science. We're one of the few universities that has a full School of Data Science. That's going to support the work they're doing uh, in the QA program. Uh, Again, you might take courses in engineering and the like as as well. Um, But again, that is not uh, structured in a way that says you have to do it. XYZ. It is actually designed on purpose to allow you to work with the the doctoral program to structure it uh, the best meet what your your ultimate interests are and your needs there. Uh, And then once again, once you kind of finish that bulk of the coursework, 48 hours, that's when you move to kind of the next phase, take the comprehensive exams, hopefully pass, and then move on to your dissertation phase. Mike, I find
2: it uh, very uh, instructive that we have a pedagogy uh, course and incorporated into the PhD curriculum. As you may know, I I did my PhD here at the University of Virginia, even though uh, one of my areas of research is critical pedagogy, I never had a specific course uh, (laughs) uh, around pedagogy. Um, and given that we we do utilize the case method of instruction here uh, in the majority of our curriculum at Darden, uh, I was wondering if you could ampl- amplify that uh, for for our participants and yeah. as as a unique opportunity or a demonstration of learning for a unique teaching style um, yeah. that we have here.
1: Well, I should probably first clarify that the the doctoral seminars that you'll be engaging in, um, especially those sponsored by the Darden faculty are going to be small numbers and so they'll they'll tend to be small group seminars um, and this is why we cohort our uh our admittees uh, to try to build a little scale um, but they'll be you know 12 or less people probably in most of those seminars which again isn't uncommon amongst uh, doctoral programs um so those will be in many ways very similar to the case methodology in the sense that heavy reading and discussion oriented courses um In terms of the general philosophy at Darden, and again, why we're one of the the global leaders, I think, in in teaching and education, is that we do adopt this case-based method for our MBA students. Um, We are one of arguably two, maybe a little more, who kind of take that exclusive approach, HBS being another one. Um, What I think is distinctive about the Darden approach is that we really emphasize this idea of student-centered learning. Uh, And the case is just a manifestation of this idea that um to, to be a little uh, uh provocative you know lecturing is dead right lecturing in a world in which a camera could be placed on you and record what you do um uh, suggests that what you need to do in the classroom is something distinctive from that and so as a result um you know there's all this work and people talking about flipping the classroom so that you have more engagement and discussion at Darden, we've been flipping the classroom since day one for over sixty years, and and it's just been part of our DNA. So I think if you come to Darden, you you do get a a, a fairly unique and different way of thinking about teaching uh, that uh, will really serve you well in your career moving forward. Because again, while most schools are very emphasis, will put a lot of emphasis on your research and your research record as they should, they're also trying to fill a teaching position, and so they'll be looking for effective uh, teachers. I also just personally find that the general philosophy of how we approach things in the classroom actually spills over to my research as well. And it's, again, about this idea of speaking to the world of practice. How do you have relevancy in what you do? Um, Academia, as you can imagine, can get very esoteric. Uh, We could do work that uh, can be sometimes hard to see its practical implications. Um, I do some work, just in full disclosure, that is uh, mathematical modeling that um, to the average layperson would be very hard to penetrate. But in the back of my mind as I'm pursuing that work is always thinking about, well, what are the implications of this? What are the recommendations that might come out of this that I would make to a manager or a policymaker? Um, And I think that that desire to kind of keep ourselves grounded um, really leads to, I would like to believe, more impactful research at the end of the day. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so I have uh, a couple more questions for
2: you, but I want to acknowledge uh, for our participants, we have reserved the last 10 minutes of this webinar for open Q&A. Um, I see quite a few questions already rolling in. Uh, so if uh, we haven't covered something that is already on your mind, feel free to drop it into the Q&A uh, and be sure to address it before we end our, our time here. Um, Mike, I want to talk about outcomes uh, from the PhD program. Um, As folks graduate uh, and receive their degree, uh, where do they go Uh, post-starting? We have quite a few, a couple of profiles uh, for our our PhD alumni available on the website, and we've done some full-length podcasts for them. uh, So I'll point those as resources for our participants. But having seen uh, quite a few PhD students come through the program, uh, what are they doing afterwards?
1: Well, once again, I think it's it's fair to say that our primary uh, goal is to produce future faculty. And so um, it is not to say that students who choose to go other trajectories uh, are, are viewed anything less than a success in their chosen endeavors, um, but at least the dominant um, perspective is to think about tenure track positions at other business schools. Um, I can speak to my my own uh, advisees that I've had over the years. I've placed uh, of students of mine at Stanford, at Wharton, um, have stand, uh, students at uh, University of Colorado, at Babson. Um, and And again, you know that's uh, a lot of what we're trying uh, trying to do with this program, and what you will be trained to do. You'll be trained to do academic research and be able to function in an academic environment, teaching uh, and research in those environments. Um, not surprisingly, though, uh, the work we do and the uh, position in business school does sometimes open up opportunities uh, in the in the again quote unquote real world in the business world or other uh, that some of our some of our students have availed themselves to, and and that's a fine outcome as as well. Awesome, thanks, Mike.
2: Um, all right, well, we could not uh, have a webinar without talking about uh, Charlottesville, our location here. Um, at the university, um, Darden is pleased to have uh, uh, teaching coming out of two locations, both here in our, our campus in Charlottesville, but also Roslyn. Uh, but to my understanding, the majority of the PhD coursework will be here uh, in Charlottesville for for, for at least those those first two years. Um, so, wanted to, to provide an opportunity for, for your reflections. Um, on uh, the, our, our location here. I know you and your family have been here quite some time. Um, I've been a student here uh, in Charlottesville three times over. Uh, so have a have a little bit of a different experience, but um, especially given that the research infrastructure that we have here at the University of Virginia, uh, it being located in a college town, um, how, about, how might our location really facilitate a, a significant learning experience for, for the PhD students here?
1: Well, I'm I'm a big enthusiast for Charlottesville. It is one of these charmed places on earth where we have a vibrant college town that brings along with it a very cosmopolitan feel Um, i can say this after living in new york we actually on a pound for pound basis have a very strong restaurant scene a very strong music scene an art scene uh that all adds to i would argue the intellectual vibrancy of the town if we look at just you know the per capita phds in charlottesville it's very very high as as maybe one would imagine at at a school like uva in in a smaller town But again, it it has amenities that hit way above its size. We're we're roughly about 100,000 people in the the general area here. Um, But what you have is one for one, if you're if you're into physical beauty, you know, the great outdoors, as it says on here, uh, is is amazing. Uh, Just an absolutely beautiful place uh, in the world. Access to any number of outdoor activities. As I mentioned, again, it's a vibrant cosmopolitan city that brings along with it all the things you would have mentioned. Uh, I can speak specifically to the entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial ecosystem we have here. It's something I've been involved with for many years, especially with my time at the Batten Institute. Um, we are perhaps a, a, a well-kept secret, but we are arguably, you know, one of those handful of uh, emerging entrepreneurial ecosystems in the world. Um, if you're familiar with like Boulder, Colorado, or Austin, Texas, I would argue we're on that trajectory, and and have the evidence to back that up. You see here number one fastest growing venture capital city we were ranked the number four best place to start a business we've had three uh companies have billion dollar exits in the uh the last five years um this this is a, a again a, an entrepreneurial hotbed now what does that mean for your for your research well um obviously if you're studying entrepreneurship it's an interesting case study in of itself uh and then creates opportunities for access to to entrepreneurial ventures and businesses and the like. But if you're more broadly interested in technology, venturing, um, uh, innovation, uh, it also creates great opportunities. And even if you're, for example, in the QA group, uh, there are companies like Willow Tree, which is a top technology company um, that you would perhaps have access to uh, and the like. So, um, you know, wonderful place to live. Uh, we can't recommend it high enough, um, but also very intellectual, stimulating, and you know, opportunity-driven uh, place. At the end of the day, awesome! Thank, thank you, thank you, Mike. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll also add that
2: um, becoming part of the the graduate and professional student community um, here in Charlottesville uh, is really amazing. Uh, I, I love to see that the intersection. Uh, of students, uh, regardless of academic school or program and how they find connection. Um, um, I found that really valuable during during my graduate studies, uh, meeting students from um, other academic departments, the data science school, the engineering school, um, us talking about our research uh, questions and inquiries and uh, finding how interdisciplinary some some of that exchange could be. Um, Us being here in a college town really facilitates that.
1: Yeah, I would I would add, you know, our, our arguably relative isolation, if you will, or relatively smaller size compared to like a major city actually works in our favor this way. Because unlike other major metropolitan areas, you, where people tend to have their own networks already when they arrive, the fact that, you know, people will be arriving here from all around the world uh, for their educational purposes makes it more natural to make that connective tissue, Christian, that you just talked about with with others there, and it's it's just easier than I can imagine in a in a you know a major major city.
2: Yeah. All right, so we've got uh, quite a few minutes left uh, in our session here, Mike, and I see that we have quite a few questions in the Q and A to 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 address. So um, one of the questions here that I I think is really instructive is uh, about the sequence of the PhD in terms of that coursework uh, completion in the first two years, and then um, uh, we. Kind of assume a four-year trajectory for our PhD students, those remaining two years dedicated to comprehensive exams and, and a dissertation. So while students are in coursework, uh, they would need to be here in, in Charlottesville to, to, to pursue those. But uh, as an advisor thinking about those, those last two years where our students may have a little bit more freedom and flexibility, um, what would your advice be in, in terms of how they in those and 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 the the location that they may find themselves, um, would it be acceptable for them to write their dissertation from uh, another location if they have a family or a partner? Um, uh, if you're you know talking to your advisee, uh, what what type of instruction would you provide there?
1: Yeah, and I and I hope I don't know what the direct restrictions are from the university as a fully in time enrolled student when you're in the dissertation phase. But I, I would emphasize what Christian said because I know there's this question about part time and remote. It is our intention and our expectation that you are here full time uh, for those first two years. Now, when I say that, um, that does not mean you do not have flexibility in in how you travel and and spend your time. But in terms of the coursework uh, and the like, the expectation is you're here physically in, in the classroom. But absolutely right. As you move into the dissertation phase, there's a lot more flexibility. And I think of it from, you know, I think about my own co-author relationships over the years. And very rarely have I been co-located at the time of writing with my co-authors, even be like former students and the like. So we live in an age uh, where it is very easy to collaborate with people at distance. Um, You know, very easy to communicate with people at distance. Uh, So I think there is a lot of flexibility as you move into the later stages to, um, you know, be, be be remote and, and involved with the program that way.
2: Um, uh, Mike, there's another question here about our cohort model uh, uh, approach to, to, to the PhD. So, we're, we have we're now reintroducing the PhD program after quite a few years that allowed the previous cohort to complete their studies and, and finish. Um, and we'll be we intend to bring in a, uh, enroll a cohort. Um, for, for this fall. Um, about how many students do, do you expect the faculty uh, to, will enroll for, for both uh, strategy ethics and entrepreneurship and quantitative analysis? And can you talk more about the experience of the cohort model uh, yeah. and, and why we, we uh, structure it that way rather than enrolling PhD students kind of uh, every year?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's something we've, we've done historically that we we had taken a, a break, you know, before this uh, upcoming year. Um, our intent is to do a cohort every two years. So we will skip a year basically uh, between that. That will allow us to set up our curriculum. So basically one cohort will move through the curriculum and then transition to the PhD uh, dissertation phase when another cohort um, comes in. Uh, there's a variety of reasons we do that. One One is uh, scale, um, so there is sufficient number of people to learn from and participate in the seminars and the like. Um, the second thing is by having it every two years, you you have a well-trained uh, uh, latter group eventually who can then help with some of the youngers. Now, that won't be the case for this first group, uh, but fortunately, we do have a vast set of alumni who've come through the program that we can, you know, tap into as well as as resources. I think for the um, uh for the cohort, the size that was mentioned, um, we have some flexibility, but I think it's fair to say across the two programs we'll probably have about a dozen students uh, is the is the goal here. very dependent on uh, the quality of the applications, there might be some variance between the areas, um, but by and large, we're looking to get about a dozen per per cohort. Um, And
2: then there's also a question here that I think uh, is really interesting about the wide variety of backgrounds that students come to the the PhD from. Um, Some will come to us uh, kind of straight from another graduate program. Some will come to us with some professional experience. Um, How do you see all of that being additive to their preparation for, for the PhD?
1: yeah I think I think it's definitely our hope and expectation that you have some experience uh, uh, in our program, be it uh, you know work experience or maybe you have your MBA or another master's degree. Um, uh, those are part of what we're what we're looking for. Um, in terms of the background question, and again, I can reflect on my own journey, which as I started with, is uh, you know definitely not a linear path. I, I think the nature of the programs that we have, Lend themselves to those who have a, a wide variety of backgrounds, and so we are we are very open um, to those types of wide backgrounds. Now, again, if if you if you've been interested in business ethics since you were an undergraduate and you did an undergraduate degree in philosophy and then a master's and you know whatever, and then you're down, hey, that's great too. Like we're we're very open to that um but we are not doctrinaire in the way you know sometimes you see programs that might say you have to have an econ undergrad and then an econ masters and then you go that's not what we're looking you know looking for necessarily so again if you have that more linear path wonderful we're definitely you know excited and we'll give strong consideration to your case but as well if you have a more eclectic background we're interested in learning more about you and uh, would definitely be interested to you as a as a candidate Um, So this gets back to our theme of, you know, we are trying almost by necessity here to be interdisciplinary, to encourage uh, people with just interesting uh, questions and interesting um, areas that they want to explore, Uh, and then we can craft a program that meets your needs and desires um, to give you, you know, so you can be successful.
2: And Mike, there's there's one more question here that I think might be helpful for participants, given our discussion uh, about um, how PhD students have this uh, opportunity to explore a lot of different academic areas and disciplines here at the university. What's the opportunity for them to uh, complete uh, another master's degree en route to the PhD? Um, Is that something that you've seen students accomplish before in, in other departments?
1: The one thing, you know, we've done more formally, we haven't done as much with people getting a master's degree in, in, let's say, another school, Um, though those possibilities do exist. Um, It's just a question of, you know, time and and the like. Um, What we have done in the past is there have been students who completed the MBA and then create and then got their Ph.D. in business. Uh, And there are um, structures by which that could that could occur and be accommodated. it usually adds a little length to your program, uh, at least another year, um, but uh, we are definitely open to those, those possibilities. I can, you know, suggest you reach out if that's something that's, that's interesting, of interest to you.
2: Yeah. Um All right, Mike, any parting words to our participants uh, as we wrap up here and as they consider Darden for the PhD?
1: You know, I'm just looking at some of the questions here. There is this question about funding and and I will just say uh we we basically fully fund our students. Uh there uh, is a tuition reimbursement and we also provide a stipend. Um so uh it is uh, a very generous offering that we have for our for our students. We also support uh some of the research and travel as well. So um uh, it is uh, it is a it is a good deal, uh, I will yeah. say, uh in our in our, <laughs> our PhD program. Yeah, it, uh, just cu- just coming off my PhD,
2: it, it was uh, quite quite unique to be able to just pay to think and study.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know, look, it, it speaks to the resources we have, of course, but it just also speaks to our you know desire that we you know we we don't want you to get bogged down on that, right? That doesn't. I don't want that. We don't want that to be the deterrent from you from uh, pursuing our program. We we want. High quality individuals who are going to do interesting, impactful work in the world, and um, that's that's our goal. It's our mandate, uh, and what we're what we're able to do. Okay.
2: Um, well, I, I do want to acknowledge that we've come to to the end of our time. Uh, also, we will have another uh, uh, application workshop this Friday with Andy Wix uh, for some of those nuts and bolts questions about the application, like submitted. To Submitting standardized test scores, how should you uh, shape your CV in preparation for the application, responding to that personal statement question. Uh, we will also record that one and have it as a resource for all of our uh, interested prospective students as well. Uh, so, Mike, I want to thank you uh, for this conversation this afternoon. Uh, I found it uh, really enlightening uh, as I learned more about uh, uh, the way that we structure our PhD program. I hope our participants have found it uh, informative as well. So really appreciate uh, your engagement. I uh, wanna thank everyone for attending uh, this afternoon. Uh, please continue to engage with us as you learn more about the Darden PhD. Uh, I serve as the, the lead uh, member from admissions, supporting all of our prospective PhD students. So I'm happy to help in any way that I can um, as you consider uh, applying for our program. Uh, for next fall. Uh, But Mike, thank you again. uh, And I'm sure I will see you around uh, Saunders Hall
1: soon.
0: Thank you, Christian. I enjoyed it. And that was a recent conversation between Christian West and Professor Mike Lennox, all about UVA Darden's PhD program. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at darden at d-a-r-d-e-n at virginia.edu. Until next time, Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.